What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of I Let the Dogs Out podcast. Welcome. It has been such a long time. Long time no talk. How's it going? Catch me up. Um, so today is a very special episode. We are introducing you guys to our other team members, Cass and Hannah, uh, and we did a little Q&A baby for you. So I am going to also apologize in advance. Apparently, I just cannot figure out how microphones work. Sometimes they sound great. Sometimes it sounds awful. Um, unfortunately, this episode on my on my end, I don't know what is going on with my mic, but it sounds like I'm screaming into your ear and it's very tinny. And I'm so sorry. I apologize in advance to your eardrums. I, I don't know if it's my voice because I get really excited and I go up a couple octaves, but we already had to re-record it because of some technical issues. So we're just going to run with it. Again, I am so sorry in advance. I hope you guys still enjoy this episode. And uh, with that being said, let's get into it. Guys, we're doing something totally new and we are so excited for it. This is actually round two of us trying to do this because the first time we had some production and quality uh, little setbacks. So here we go. We have Cass and Hannah here with us today. So Cass and Hannah are the other two members of the Candor training team. So they are going to start kind of just pop it on here more often. So it'll be a great way to add a little bit more consistency into the episodes just because, you know, like dog life be crazy. So it's always good to have more hands on deck. So today we're going to be using this as an opportunity to introduce you to them and them to you. And then we're going to go through a Q&A episode. So like literally way back when, I'm pretty sure it was like, it might, no, it, it was after the new year, but definitely there was still snow on the ground. We put out a Q&A episode. So, or a Q&A little uh, sticker on our Instagram. So we're going to be going over some of those questions that you guys answered. So welcome Cass and Hannah. Oh, Hi. Ah, there we go. Perfect. Woo. We have, we have audio. We are set. We're ready to go. Oh, nothing like a Saturday morning podcast recording to really just get your weekend going <laughs> so we're in buckets oh my gosh it's a struggle so we're gonna start with doing a little bit of an intro so Cass do you want to get started just tell everybody about you what got you into dog training what kind of like fuels your fire just give us all the deeds okay so I'm Cass hi <laughs> um I have always been obsessed with dogs basically since I was a little girl um, I always grew up around dogs. We had lots of dogs in the family. Um, my first personal journey with dog training started when I adopted my first dog, Sadie. She was the first dog that I had kind of when I moved out of my parents' house and was on my own. I didn't realize it at the time that I got her, but after a little while of having her, I realized that she had some really deep-rooted fear issues with uh, towards people and other dogs. Um, so that was really challenging, just kind of working through that. Um, I also realized just looking up information in terms of like training was also really difficult because the internet just gives you like a whole world of information and a lot of misinformation, right? But especially for a new dog owner, guardian, um, that is just kind of learning about their new dog and all these issues, it could be very overwhelming. So 
after having some good help and some not so good help, um, I was able to put us on a bit of a plan to work through some of these issues. And through working with her, I actually started to realize how much, number one, I loved the training aspect. Number two, how much I loved the bonding experience. Um, and then through that, I just kind of realized how much I wanted to help other people, especially in terms of reactivity, because it is so overwhelming to try to navigate through, through that. Um, so that's kind of my background in terms of that. And then in terms of like where I kind of started. So I started volunteering uh, with Jamie through Candor Canine Classes in summer of 2021. Um, and then I started working on uh, obtaining a canine coaching diploma through Canine Principles. I got that in 2022. Um, and then in the fall of 2022, I started taking on my own classes, like level one classes. I'm doing classes at the Humane Society um, as well, reactivity classes too. Um, so that's pretty much it in terms of that. And then in terms of what I really love about training, I have to say I love all aspects of training, like the basic puppy stuff, um, leash manners, reactivity, of course. But what really fuels me is definitely working with puppy clients, reactivity clients, and my favorite part is just that moment where you kind of see the human and the dog just click and they find like their little groove and you're just like, that just makes my heart sing so, so much. So that's really kind of like what got me into training and what really continues to just like drive me through it. No, that's amazing. I also love, I, I find like I really resonate with the, I'm really like fueled by aggression and reactivity and then puppies. Like there, it's like, I need like, like a little bit of a palate cleanser in between. Yes. And it's like, it's kind of funny because it, apparently we like chaos because puppy <laughs> parents are stressed. Reactivity clients are also stressed, but we get a little bit of like a, like a, whew, a little breath of fresh air when it comes to the puppy clients. <laughs> Absolutely. That's awesome. That's awesome. So Hannah, you're up, do your thing. Let us know all about you. Okay. Well, I also love dogs, <laughs> but um, <laughs> I grew up not owning dogs or anything like that. I wasn't always around dogs. I grew up actually being obsessed with cats. I have cats now. <laughs> um, I actually was really into reptiles. <laughs> I was a reptile lady. I think um, that's so fucking cool. Like I have mm -hmm. never met somebody that was like, yeah, I'm like interested in reptile behavior. I think that's amazing. <laughs> It's, it's so, so interesting because aggression is so normal to them, right? And I think uh, that was a seed for me, and I didn't know that till later. Um, and then I decided that I wanted to do, actually start pursuing working with animals. So pet sitting was an easy way to get into that. And I only had dog clients and clients that it wasn't just here walk my dog it was like they're struggling and I wanted to help with that and I also realized even dogs that didn't have behavioral concerns my favorite part of the day was mealtime you know enrichment playing games training uh walking I wanted to always be working on their leash skills you know it was fun for me so that made me realize that I I wanted to for sure pursue dog training 
Um, I dabbled in the daycare. <laughs> I did some of that before I came into actually doing dog training. Um, and that also really fueled the fire of canine social behavior, the interest in that. I do really enjoy enrichment for dogs. I like figuring out kind of what that looks like for each dog, uh, sports, and just, again, whatever that looks like for the dog. And then if they are struggling with something that is specific to what they were bred for um, and, and they don't want to do that, like hunting, helping them navigate that and go hunting with their dog in a predation substitution way. I love that. Uh, behavior modification, seeing that click, like Cass said, is huge. I love seeing if they're doing a sport or they're just training for fun, they're just having a good time together, building that relationship with them. And then with behavior modification, seeing that aha moment and the moment where they see, okay, I get it, I'm seeing a change in my dog and things are going good and, and you see the changes that are happening and you're growing and doing that with them is super fun. I love that here at Candor we focus on the coaching aspect of working with dogs and their humans. So yeah. Fantastic. I love it. I love it. And that's like the biggest thing is like, we're essentially like your biggest hype people. Like that's what we're here for. We're here to be your coaches and everyone like I I've actually even had this in the last week, all my, like, I think at least three or four of my in-person sessions were like, Oh, so it's really like, it's more like the humans are learning than the dogs. I was like, absolutely. It literally like one of the textbooks that you have to read is teaching people to train their dogs. Like it's, it is, we are human coaches. The dogs are easy or like in general, like <laughs> relatively easy in terms of like timing and the concepts it's, it's trying to like get through and sort of like pick apart all of the, um, all of the ways that people are expecting their dogs to learn or what they expect their dogs should know based off of some like weird societal thing that has been like placed into our brains at some point. My words are really working well for me. So you guys, I apologize in advance. I have not had to do a podcast recording in a hot minute. And when I have done them, it has literally just been me. So I've just been talking to myself. So this is a very, very nice change but I am adjusting and I also haven't had coffee yet or I'm in the middle of caffeinating. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I feel you on that too. <laughs> oh, all right. Big deep breath in and let's get started with the Q and a. So I have some questions ready to go. And the one we're going to start with, because I feel like this will be a, uh, we'll definitely have some good tips for this one is the following. I've tried using treats on walks, but it isn't working. My dog is super stu stubborn and ignores them. Let's get into it. Who wants to start? Don't all jump up I'll at once. <laughs> it's so early. I'll start. Um, I love this one. Yeah, I really, I really love this question. So typically, if you are taking your dog out on walks and you're finding that they are being... I'm air coding stubborn because just a fun fact, our dogs are immoral. So they don't know those types of emotions. Um, like they don't have the ability to be stubborn. That's definitely a human construct that we kind of place on our dogs. Mm -hmm. um, but if we are taking our dogs out on walks and they are not listening to us, 
Um, even though we are using treats, what that is basically telling us is that the environment is holding a more reinforcing value than the treats that we currently have with us. So, um, perhaps that could be that, you know, maybe we have those silver or bronze reinforcers and we don't really have the gold ones, which could be playing a huge uh, part of our dogs being a little bit too focused on what's going on in the environment and not tuning back in with us. Um, it could also be that we just haven't established um, a reinforcement history well enough in terms of like engagement, um, things like that. So I think that that's usually probably what's happening if your dog's not listening to you out on walks. Brushed it. Like, yes, that was, that was the perfect answer. Um, one thing I just want to add on there too, is when we, you see that your dog, like so many times, everyone's like, I have a stubborn dog. I like, they, they know it. They're just choosing not to do it. And it's like, okay. So <laughs> like you had mentioned, dogs don't have the emotional capacity to be stubborn. What's happening is that we aren't being reinforcing enough. We think that our dogs just should do things because we ask them to and because they should. And big air quotes here, respect us. You can't see us, but I'm air quoting the most right now. Um, when it comes to a dog looking quote unquote stubborn, what you're usually finding is like Cass had mentioned, there's something in the environment that has holds a higher reinforcing value than what you're trying to present. So what I would usually recommend doing as well is going back to the basics. And a lot of times what happens too, is that, um, we try to like push, push it, Ooh, almost just knocked my coffee over, push it too quickly where it's like, okay, well, my dog was able to capture leash skills in the house. All right, let's go to the park. And it's like, okay, let's think of it like a ladder here at the very bottom. You are working on certain foundational skills in a low distracting environment with low, like minimal, minimal distractions, quick distance. So your rate of reinforcement is really quick. Um, and your distance is very short. Like you're not going very far. So that kind of ties into the rate of reinforcement, right? We then try to jump up to the very top of the ladder, which is our dog doing leash skills in like a high traffic area or a new area, or even just being outside in itself because dogs, navigate the world through their sense of smell. They gain so much information through smelling and exploring and doing all these different things that you are essentially going from the very bottom of the ladder. You're trying to jump to the very top of the ladder without falling off. You're going you're gonna to have a big risk of falling off there. So there's a bunch of different rungs that we can kind of start climbing up so that our risk of falling down when we're trying to get to the top is a lot less um, words is a lot less less likely. Wow. That was the word I was looking for. It was likely. Oh my gosh. This is going to be, thanks for being here guys. I don't know how to speak. You're welcome. Uh, It's a struggle. Uh, So a couple different things you could do is just starting to kind of proof and generalize those behaviors. And a big thing too, to kind of note is that even though your dog was maybe doing leash skills in one outdoor environment, that does not mean that they've generalized it to a different outdoor environment. So it's not very fair to expect that our dog is going to be able to learn things when you're, when we're trying to add distractions way too quickly or trying to increase the criteria of what we're asking them to do much too quickly, if that makes sense. Any other points? I think that's that, um, Sorry. <laughs> no, go for it. 
Um, I forgot to put up my hand. Um, just that uh, what's reinforcing is always obviously different for the learner and it's okay if the environment is more reinforcing and just looking at what is in the environment that is more reinforcing. Uh, your dog's temperament, personality, breed, all of these things factor in so much. Food's great. Not all the time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. And it's also important to note that like you had mentioned, reinforcement is like the value of reinforcement is totally dependent on your dog. A lot of the times we'll have, and also too, like just for anybody listening, when I say a lot of the times I'll have people, I'm not like thinking of one person in general. So like if you've had a class or if you had a session with me and you've said this, I swear to God, I'm, or I swear to heck, I am not uh, talking about you. So a lot of the times we'll have uh, people that come and are like, okay, I brought like so many high value reinforcers. I brought, I went to the store, I got the really expensive training treats and my dog is just ignoring them. And it's like, you need to find what's reinforcing, like you had mentioned, to your specific dog. So like even just taking my two dogs, for example, Indy is quite picky when it comes to certain things, but like she loves broccoli, her favorite thing. <laughs> Carter hates broccoli, not a fan. So for Indy, broccoli serves reinforcing value. For Carter, it does not. And that's kind of like a, a pretty cut and dry example of reinforcing value. You, you need to kind of do some trials and find what works best for your dog and keep it varied as well. So a lot of the time as well as we find something our dog really likes, and then we just like make it rain that thing all the time, which is great because we do want to reinforce our dogs for lots of different behaviors. But over time, that novel value on that reinforcer is going to start wearing down. Kind of like I love pizza, but if I had pizza every single day for a week, I would be like, damn, your girl needs a salad, right? Like I would be like, I do not, if you put a piece of pizza in my face, I would like, no, I would push it away kind of thing. Whereas at the beginning, I'm like, bring it in. Let's go. I'm ready. I will do what you want for the pizza. So you need to make sure that you're keeping it varied, finding a couple different things that you, or a couple different reinforcers that you can have and you can rotate through and even just have a varied amount with you as well. If you are looking at food reinforcement, do either of you guys have any recommendations on how you could use environmental reinforcers to your advantage when working on walks? Yeah, <laughs> I think the forgotten uh, enrichment is visual enrichment. And there's a reason why they're scanning the environment because even if they don't see that squirrel, it's really fun to look at the potential of that squirrel. So um, if if you're having trouble getting their focus and they're, you know, a lot of dogs are sniffing around, maybe they're just looking around at everything and anything that isn't you and that's okay. You can use that to your advantage. Toys are great and play because you're taking something that would be natural to them if they love chasing other things and you can do that with them. Even just play without toys, playing chase. There's so many things you can do that are specific that don't involve food. And food releases all those more, uh, those chemicals that they would be doing at the end of those behaviors if they are really interested in the environment, if it's because they're a breed that is a hunting breed, something like that. So they might not want to do that as soon as they're out there. And that's totally fine. 
Another thing you can do too, and like when it does come to leash skills in general, a lot of it comes to the foundations of just working on general engagement. So a lot of people find that your dog is nice and engaged. And the second you get out that door, it's just like whoop, tunnel vision in, like just no fucks given about what's whoever's holding the end of that leash, right? So just working on reinforcing engagement in general. So going, and I would usually, again, start this in your house, then maybe go to the backyard if you have a backyard or go to, if you're in an apartment, go to like the, if you have like a, a common area that your dog knows, right? Start with building engagement there and you can use toys for this. So uh, working just on the name game and then marking and tossing the toy or playing tug for a little bit or using food if your dog is reinforced and you can find different types of food reinforcers for your dog in that type of environment. And then slowly working your way to maybe like a big open green space with your dog on a long lead. So you're giving them lots of room to sniff and explore and, but you're capturing that engagement in with you, or again, working on things that are super simple, like, Hey, I'll say your name. Just look at me, get the treat. Now go explore. Ooh, I'm just hitting things. Go explore for five minutes, sniff, do your thing. I'm only going to say your name, like maybe three times in the half hour that I'm there, because a lot of the time too, we're like, dog's name, dog's name, dog's name, dog's name. And it's just like, oh my God, my gosh, just let me freaking sniff and explore. And ah, like, I just want to like get some enrichment out. I just don't want to have to constantly be checking in with you. And a lot of the time what you find, and and, uh, Cass and Hannah know this just from like training with us, we focus a lot on capturing because it allows your dog the ability to make choice. And when we're starting to reinforce those good choices, again, the 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 whole premise of positive reinforcement is we're increasing the frequency of those behaviors, right? So the benefit of this too is that your dog has the ability and the room to make those choices by being on a longer leash and having more freedom to do so. And I find a lot of the times people see a lot of um like a lot of great progression with that because they're giving their dogs more appropriate outlets to express those behaviors that they're looking for. Uh, So usually what I recommend doing is even going out to like a community center field or a big open green space, pop them on even like a 15 foot long lead, work a bit on the name game, let go out for a little enrichment walk, work a little bit on some pattern games are really great because they're really easy, predictable games that your dog can pick up on really quickly. So starting with some pattern games and those are Leslie McDevitt's that's right. Right. Leslie McDevitt's yeah. I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Pretty sure. It's Didn't fuck game. that up. I'll put it in the notes. <laughs> she has some really great pattern games, like the one, two, three pattern game, the up down pattern game, practicing those in the house and then slowly working those into an outdoor environment can be a great way to start working on just generalizing engagement. Because I find a lot of the times too, we really put like a, a big focus on teaching our dog, like I'll teach them sit and down and shake and heal and recall. And it's like, Think of what the functionality of a lot of those behaviors are. Nine times out of 10, a lot of those behaviors, the function of them are to engage with us, right? Or to be able to kind of look like engage with us when there's distractions going around. Because recall, it's to come towards us. Leash skills, it's to, well, a lot of times when you're teaching things like heal or capturing leash skills, your dog's engaged with you, right? So just working on just generalized engagement, like, hey, if I can say my dog's name and they look at me, reinforce it. There you go. You meet the function of a lot of the things that you're looking Mm -hmm. for. Now, say your dog's name. They look at you. Take a couple steps forward. 
mark reinforce. There you go. You just got two steps with leash skills. So it, it is one of those things that we can really break it down and we can make it really simple um, for our dogs and also for us. A lot of the times I find that we can get frustrated really easily. One, because we're trying to push too quickly and because, well, and we're also try- expecting a little bit too much out of our dogs and just expecting them to know again, air quotes, no better sort of thing. So what I was going to add is when we're trying to build engagement and your dog is very interested in the environment, a lot of the time, like you're saying, you're asking too much. So if you recall your dog and then you're trying to build some leash skills when the environment right now is more reinforcing, it would be more reinforcing for you to release them from that recall right away. And then yeah. you're, you're reinforcing it, right? You're still building value on that recall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's no real reason that when we are working, especially, and I know this question was like triggered or it was kind of like um, <laughs> categorical. Oh my gosh, categorized. Holy shit, I'm having a hard time right now uh, towards walk specifically, but it is really great to just work on it in a context of not actively like going on a sidewalk walk or trying to walk on a trail, right? So just go into a big open space where not necessarily are you in the position where you're trying to walk with your dog on this short little leash in a certain direction, right? You want to be able to change directions. You want to give your dog the ability to kind of go and do those, those things that are serving environmental reinforcement, right? So I do definitely recommend going into the big open field um, and working there and slowly working your way up. And the big thing too is like, it drives me up the wall. And again, before I started dog training, this never was an issue, but like the fact that five foot leashes are like the standard or even four foot just drive me nuts. Like by the time you're holding it, your dog literally has nowhere to go. And we're wondering why they're pulling us everywhere. They're literally they just literally like, can't even sniff. <laughs> they can't. They're literally just walking two steps forward and it's already in a pull. So yeah, and it's, it's so funny to like, well, not funny, but it is kind of funny, but it's like fun to see, like, again, that click moment with the owners of, or guardians is, okay, let's pop them even on an eight foot leash. It's still pretty, sh- like it's short enough that it's still safe. Uh, you can still kind of walk on a sidewalk with it. No problem. And they're like, wow, this has been fantastic. And I was like, the beauty of giving your dog space. Yeah. <laughs> I love that moment when they come back to you after you've recommended a longer leash and they're just like, oh my God, this is a total game changer. And I'm like, right? Like we don't <laughs> yeah. need to make our lives so much more difficult. Sometimes yeah. just switching things out, you know, as simple as just using a longer leash does give our dogs, you know, the opportunity in the room to make those really good choices. We reinforce those rear choices. What happens over time is they just automatically choose that those behaviors that we reinforce. So it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just really nice. Yeah. And disclaimer, of course, we're not saying put your dog on a long lead, like a 25 foot long lead and walk down the sidewalk. Like we're, no. we're hoping that you guys are, are using as much common sense as possible. That is a safety concern. Also, your dog is on a long lead. Don't let them rush up to the other dogs. But when you are in an environment that's conducive with doing this in a safe way, absolutely give your dog more space. And even when you're on a sidewalk and stuff, like even just try out like a little bit of a longer leash, see how it goes. Worst case, you don't like it. Pop your dog back on the other dog, the leash that you had before. Really, there's no, there's no, um, downside to it. And I think again, too, that it really like also goes into the, 
And I really, it drives me up the wall. And this is, this could literally be it. I also, oh my gosh, I've been saying literally like every two seconds, but <laughs> I it's like, take a drink of coffee every single time I say it, getting crazy on a Saturday morning. Um, so this, it, it drives me up the wall again, that as a society, and I, again, like I had mentioned, this can be its whole thing is that, uh, quote unquote, perfect dog walks by our side is only on our one side. And that's a lot of the times when we get clients, that's what their end goal is, is I want a dog who is healing by my side for the walk. And it's like, are you sure? Are you like, are you positive? <laughs> that doesn't sound very fun to me. And it doesn't sound like very fun for your talk either. No. So it is like, and I find a lot of the time we're trying to like almost convince people that that is not what a quote unquote perfect dog looks like. And I mean, if a dog does walk by your side at your side, great. That's awesome for you. Um, but my personal perfect dog walk would be my dog being able to sniff and explore and get as much as they possibly can out of that experience because living in our world, they don't get a whole lot of like, especially because I live in the city, they don't get a whole lot of opportunities to get to do those things. So when I'm actively going out to give them the opportunity to get that enrichment, I want them to be able to get as much as they possibly can out of it. And that usually means them not sticking by my side, walking at my pace, kind of being more militant than free and having a rad time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I think the worry too, is that they're not getting the exercise that they need, but if you pop them on a long leash, they can get all that exercise without you worrying about having to do it with them. Yes, <laughs> if you exactly. Are looking for exercise yourself you can do that yourself. If you know, you don't always have to have your dog in that perfect heel. And mm-hmm. like you said, the ladder, you don't need to have them doing it right away. Totally. It can be a goal and that that is a fine goal, right? But they mm-hmm. still need to get, get those dog behaviors in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And work your way up that ladder. There's definitely some steps that we can take. So kind of to recap it, because we, I like, and I'm like literally... <laughs> Oh my gosh. So literally again, take a drink. I'm such an idiot. Okay. So I'm struggling. Uh, so to kind of to recap it for the person who asked this question, because we really, uh, we really gave you, gave you some tips, but they kind of went all over the place. So numero uno, uh, do some trials, try to figure out what your dog really enjoys, whether it be food, what kinds of food, what textures of food, do they like soft and smelly, um, and find a variety of them. Maybe it's environmental reinforcers. Do they, are they a herding breed? Do they really find reinforcement out of chasing? Um, do they have like a, are they a hound? Do they really love to sniff? Like we have so many like beagles that are just like, like nose to the ground, like just little laser beams going around everywhere, the tail up, just doing its thing the whole entire time. So in those types of situations, it might be hard to engage your dog with food because again, they have a genetic predisposition to really enjoy scenting. So utilize that, use that to your advantage. Periodically say their name. They look at you, mark it. Okay, go sniff and just let them do their thing at the end of that long line. So try to find what's reinforcing to your dog. I know that it's hard and I know that it sounds like your dog is being stubborn. It's really just there. There are reinforcing things that your dog, like your dogs do find things reinforcing. 
we don't have a dog who never finds anything reinforcing. It's about finding what that thing is. And it can be really tricky. I know this. Take your time with it. Start jotting things down. Go on a walk. Make a little like voice note in your phone and be like, I was trying to like think of a dog name and literally I couldn't think of anything. I was like, dog did this. <laughs> it sounds really silly, but like put it in your phone and be like, hey, Siri, leave a, leave a voice note dog really was intent on sipping or dog was really into the freeze-dried cheese treats or dog was really excited when I squeaked the toy that I had or really enjoyed playing tug today and then that way you can look back on it and you can find what they were enjoying and also make a little note of what environments you were in as well because that might be a better indication as to what you should bring the next time you're in those environments too um what other cliff note points do we have i just had a random thought but i mean yeah. i could really go on forever <laughs> let us know recapping. what is the and random we thought love our findings and it's funny yes. because the delivery also you're just trying to feed your dog a treat Meh, kind of boring Ooh, now i'm throwing it they're like okay <laughs> let me go get that and sniff it out <laughs> that was a ding 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 if i ever heard one i cannot believe that we totally forgot to say know, that right? Yes, make it exciting. Make you guys exciting. I always say, people like, get your dog parent voice going. Like, everyone always last week, so I'm like, oh gosh, I don't want to do it into the mic because it's going to like completely blow up people's eardrums. But it's like, get that, like, and move your body, talk, get them engaged, like, like, scooch back, run away, get exciting. Because if, again, if we're just like, let's go for a walk and we're walking and they're going ahead of us and we're like, no, don't do that. Like, it's not like, why would they engage with you? I wouldn't engage with somebody if that was kind of how I was walking with someone, right? But if they're like, hey, Jenny, look here. And then you turned and like ran in the other direction, but like, oh my God, what's going on? And I would follow them, right? Or I mean, like if somebody like tossed a treat up, I would, I mean, <laughs> and depending on the situation, I might try to catch it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's a perfect point to make. So yes, food delivery. Trying to figure out what's reinforcing, taking notes. Remember the ladder scenario. Don't try to go from the bottom to the top because you're gonna you have a high likelihood of that you might fall off, or the likelihood is much stronger that you're gonna fall off than if you just take each step at a time. And when you're looking at those rungs, think of those three Ds: so distance, duration, distraction, and slowly start integrating those and adding criteria to the environments that you are working on these behaviors in. So, we are going to go on to our next question. Are you guys ready? Yeah. Let's go with... Is there a way to do an enrichment activity without using food? Who wants to start? I love this question. Um, food is great, but like Hannah mentioned earlier, like it's also important that we kind of just take a look at the environment to see what our dog is finding reinforcing in the environment. So for enrichment activities um, that don't involve food, um, decompression walks, that's just one that kind of stands out to me for sure. So again, utilizing having our dogs on a long lead. I always like for enrichment decompression walks, I always like to say a minimum of 20 feet. I mean, if you need to start at 15, go for it. Because sometimes just 
reeling in that leash and holding all the mechanics we always say is the hardest part of dog training, right? So um, using a long lead and just taking our dogs out to an area that maybe they don't frequent very often and just letting them dog out. So sniff, run, roll, dig if they feel like they want to. Um, just having opportunities that our dogs can engage in those like canine specific behaviors, um, I think is a really good way to add enrichment to them, uh, to their lives without using food. Um, yeah. And a big one too is like, like, and again, if you have a rescue dog, obviously like try to find like what breed traits do your, does your dog resonate with, right? Mm-hmm. So is your dog a herding dog? Do they really, again, flirt poles are great. Jolly eggs, things like that. Something that is kind of like specific for that type of trait is always a great way to add enrichment. And like Cass had said, digging, like people will do, um, like it, people are always look at me like I'm crazy when it's like, um, like my dog is <clears throat> digging in my garden and I'm like okay well why don't we make a dog specific garden like on the opposite side of the yard or something like that where it's like well won't it kind of make them want to dig more in my garden like wouldn't that be reinforcing those behaviors and the biggest thing is when we're looking at that is you're essentially giving them an appropriate outlet to to participate in that behavior that they find really enriching right so if we're giving them the appropriate outlet to do it at point a they're less likely to do it at point B. And again, apparently I just really love pizza because this is, again, another pizza analogy, but I I love, we all know, we know this by now at the end of this episode, everyone's going to be like, girl, you got to like chill on the pizza, but I really like pizza if you didn't know. So if I went out to go to a new pizza place, I wouldn't feel the need to immediately go to a second one, right? I had that need fulfilled at point A, pizza place A. So I'm less likely to feel the need to go to pizza place B, right? Um, So dog gardens where you can like plant specific things that are safe for dogs or like sandboxes and things like that are always really great. Um, I think of like other like enrichment boxes. If your dog really likes to like tear and shred, like that's Carter's favorite thing to do. And he gets so excited around like Christmas time. Cause he just like wants to open all the boxes. Like we can't put boxes on the ground under the tree. Cause he'll like grab them and try to rip them all open. Cause it's his favorite activity. Um, so of course, making sure that like your dog is not consuming it and always making sure you're watching them. But Carter very specifically will like tear off the paper and then spit it out across the room. So I know that he's not actually ingesting it, but putting like <clears throat> different things like toys and stuff in a box and putting like crumpled up paper and letting your dog kind of snuffle around and like grab those pieces out and tear open the box. Of course, with enrichment activities too, you do need to start at a way that's always, it's always being successful for your dog. Like I wouldn't want to give them an enrichment box, tape it shut, glue it and make sure that like, it's so hard for my dog to get into that they're, they're just working at it for hours because then that kind of goes against the enrichment aspect of it. And it just causes frustration, but you can definitely work your way up to the point where you maybe have the box kind of folded shut and your dog gets to tear through it. Um, Carter also really enjoys like chewing. So we give him like a safe, safe things to have that are, are chewable, right? Not that he necessarily ingests, but he just likes to kind of gnaw on it's, he loves sticks. That's again one of his Sticks favorite things. He's a he's a man of uh, 
of, of little little needs. He likes sticks and cardboard boxes. Are his favorite. He's a simple guy. There's nothing yes. wrong with being yeah. simple. He lives a life of simplicity, which is nice. Which is nice. Yeah. We all could take notes from that, actually. <laughs> very true. Very true. <laughs> Do you guys have any other ones? Yeah. So I think with enrichment, a lot of people always think about the food because it's an easy way that we can enrich our dogs throughout the day. And we always think about, well, they're hunters or scavengers and I want them to feel fulfilled in that. And all these options are things that can do that without the food part. So there's social, physical, mental, the physical, mental, and the social go together a lot of the time. Um, But social it can literally be anything like hanging out on the couch. You don't even have to play with your dog. You can play with your dog without a toy. It doesn't have to be toys. Um, when we're thinking of the predatory sequence, if they really like, again, just the visual aspect of going out in an open field and being able to look around, um, the chasing, if they like ball, the tearing, if they like tug, the ripping apart, if they want to dissect something, and then comes the food. So there's so many things we can do before that help, and we want to fulfill all those needs too, not just the end part, right? So I think those are all really good options to do that. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And then, and again, that's a really, really important point. And it's something that I don't think a lot of dog guardians understand is that they are going through that predatory sequence. Um, so it is, and it, it can get really frustrating if you also don't end it as well, right? Like if they yeah. don't, and that's why like laser pointers and things are really, are really hard right. and for like, and we don't want to use that because it doesn't allow your dog or cat to end the sequence. So your dogs or cats, I'm saying cats, because people use them a lot. Not that I'm a cat expert by any means. Adriana, where are you at? I need you. I'm stressed. Um, but the uh, like people use them so much, like they'll, they'll sell them for cats specifically. And it's like, well, man, you're just like building frustration and you need to give your, your animal uh, the ability to end that sequence so that they're not like, Ooh, it's not ideal. Not ideal. Any other questions? Any other points? Losing it. <laughs> I think that was pretty good. I think we got that yeah, one. I think we Beautiful. All right. Next one. Ooh, this one's going to be spicy. And if you guys have listened to this podcast before, you listened to my daycare episode, I feel like you know how I feel on this um, subject. But we'll see how Cass and Hannah feel about it. Is daycare something you recommend? Hmm. Wants to start. <laughs> <laughs> I'm conflicted on on daycare. Honestly, I mean, I see the benefits of it. I also see, you know, the the pitfalls of it. I think there needs to be a bit of a of a balance, and it all again kind of depends on the dog right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some dogs really thrive in a daycare environment. Um, Others, I feel probably don't thrive as well and can also help feed some of those, um, you know, maybe reactivity behaviors that they're experiencing that maybe the guardians haven't even really noticed yet. Um, I also think like the daycare, I mean, we all know it's an unregulated industry, so that's always a big kicker um, as to why I say it's a bit of a slippery slope. Um, it, and again, like the human to dog ratio, I feel 
isn't fair. I don't know what we're at now. I think it's like one person one... to 10 dogs, which is a lot. I thought that it was 15. Oh, for 15 small dogs. dogs. They can be small dogs and there's 15 small dogs, which is like, which is so not the same or it's, it's the same, whether they're large or yeah. small. I don't understand how way. that even happens though. Cause it's like, I, if you were in a group with like two dogs having a fight, you could barely manage it as one person, let alone 10 exactly. or 15. Exactly. <laughs> it's like, yeah. The heart palpitations are real when it comes yeah. to that type of stuff. Like, ooh. And also, too, like, it does get tough, like Hass had mentioned, with it being an unregulated industry. There are some places that do daycare very well. Like, there are specific, like, I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's so hard because it's like the ones that do it well are so few and far between that you really need to make sure that you're doing your research because again too it's not an like it's not a, a business that you people are coming into it and getting like you're not having expert people coming in usually and working in those spaces as hard as like it's like icky and weird as that is to say but you do have a lot of turnover and a lot of the time you don't have people who are properly trained on how to read that body language and prevent things from happening it's more so how do I react once they are already happening right so it gets to kind of like a really hard point where it's they a lot of the times and again too like you have to remember they're businesses as well right so they're going to try to not again not all and it's not a, a bad thing that they're trying to get as many dogs as they can in their business as possible because that's a business thing right so but it can be really tough where it's also not just not overly natural to have a bunch of like like 20 or 15 unknown dogs in a small space together stresses me out stresses yeah stresses me out yeah when you're throwing 80 dogs in a room like you said if something goes wrong you're, there's I mean good luck right but well and if even, you only have five humans you know in that space watching those dogs how do you physically how like how are you physically able to separate all those dogs or or handle the situation um yeah, it's and even definitely being proactive. You don't see everything that goes on. It's there's no way anyway. No. Yeah. No. Well, and also too, like if you're thinking about like trying to match dogs with like appropriate play groups or trying to match them based off of their play style or their age or their temperament or personality. If you have just like a big open space, like big dogs and small dogs, that's great. If they don't have individual big dog, small dogs area, Big old red flag. Don't do that. That's illegal. That, that's going to be a big, uh, like, eh, we're going to stop there. Let's rally. We'll do some research to someone else. Um, but uh, there's like, it's just not, not feasible that you're going to be properly doing that. If you only have one big open group and it's not feasible that you're going to also have dogs that do all get along in that one big open group with whatever, how many dogs, 20, 30, 40 dogs in it. You're going to have dogs that have kind of different play styles or get irritated with each other. And also, too, I think the big thing when it comes to daycare as well is it is 100% dog specific. But also, I always like to urge people when they ask me if they should bring their dog to daycare, also why the guardians are wanting to do it as well. Um 
so a lot of people say they want to do it for socialization. Stresses me out a little bit. Um, because I like it socialization. That's I would say probably one of the worst places to go for socialization. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> because like you have no idea what how your dog is feeling in that moment. There's so much going on. It can really make you backslide when it comes to working on proper socialization. So, so proper socialization. Also, granted, I mean, if your dog's, your puppy's in that critical socialization window, I don't think most daycares would take them that at that age. I don't really know. The problem is with the small dogs and they're mixed in with puppies sometimes. If it's not a separate puppy playgroup, I really don't recommend it because... Yeah. You're mixing in a young dog you're trying to socialize with older, smaller dogs is not the same as doing a puppy playgroup. And yeah. no puppy should be at daycare all day. Even no. an hour, their joints are growing, they're ripping around. Yeah. Even if they're having the best time in the world, that's so mentally draining. They're going to mm-hmm. be overtired. It's going to put them over the edge. It's mm-hmm. not going to make it for a positive socialization experience anyways, mm-hmm. but their bodies shouldn't be going for that long either. There's so much wrong with it's a puppy. Yeah. So if they have a separate puppy thing and there's a small group, but it's still always best to be there and actually do a puppy play group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. In general, when it comes to your puppy, like don't fuck around when it comes to socialization, like yeah. honestly, don't do it. No. Be as careful as possible because there's a lot of, of things that can kind of like really impact them in a positive and a negative way. So I usually recommend like if you are looking for socialization with your puppy, go to a puppy play group or a puppy class that is is being instructed by a certified trainer. Certified force-free trainer, I'll add that in there as well, is that's going to be your best bet uh, when it comes to socialization. And also, granted, too, I have a lot of people say they, they want to do it for socialization for their older dogs. So I see uh, it, it, like, makes my heart drop. Sometimes you'll see, like, uh, people, like, daycares um, putting photos of dogs in muzzles and being like, muzzle dogs are good dogs. Yes, muzzle dogs are great dogs, but they shouldn't be in daycare if they're that if they're feeling that threatened when they're there that they need to wear a muzzle is kind of like, why, why understood that this is not socialization. This is flooding and this is getting your dog to kind of shut down. So this is not really putting you in a position that it is going to be beneficial. If you want to work on your dog's reactivity or aggression or negative response towards other dogs, there are a lot more safe and better avenues that are more conducive with your dog actually succeeding, which is working with a trainer, slowly exposing them to dogs that you might know in a proper way. So let's say you have a family or a friend's dog that you are going to be around a lot, working on it from that perspective rather than shoving them in a not shoving them in a room because of course daycare like there are daycares that are big and open I'm not saying they're all in like this little broom closet by any means if they were again red flag go somewhere else but um I think that we really think that daycares are a great place or generally dog guardians think that daycares are a great place for socialization for social exposure, yes, you get social exposure, but it's really a toss-up whether that's going to be positive or negative when it comes to your dog. And I think that there's a lot of situations where if the guardian is doing it 
like every single day, like they're going from Monday to Friday all day. I think that that can cause a toll on the dog. Uh, one, because, and then they get confused as to why my dog doesn't know how to relax. Cause it's like, well, your dog just goes, goes, goes for five hours a day, five to eight hours a day, all day. And they're an adolescent dog. We've never really taught them how to do nothing. Right. Or they've, they've been reinforced for behaviors from an environmental or the social perspective, because they're playing really rough with these other dogs and the other dogs are playing really rough back. So now they think that every dog they see, they get to go jump on their face. Right. So there's a lot of things that can kind of set it back. And, and this is to be, again, this is just like the, the very like generalized scenario. Like I'm sure that there are, there are definitely daycares that are doing it properly. Um, it's just up to you to the dog guarding to really make sure that if that is something that they're worried about to make sure that they're doing that research for it and maybe even easing into it. So I usually recommend if this is something you really want to do, call the daycare, ask them what days are their slowest. So usually like Mondays or, or whatever that may be and go for like a power hour or go for a half day and start with one day a week. And then maybe if your dog is really enjoying it, go to two days a week, right? Or if they're really enjoying it after that, three days a week. But if you're starting to see signs that your dog is, their behavior is shifting after they start going more often, take a break, give them a little bit of time to kind of just kind of recalibrate a little bit because it's a lot. And and it's essentially like a canine nightclub, right? And again, I get this a lot too, where my dog really loved daycare. And now all of a sudden the daycare workers are saying that they're snapping at the other dogs or they're disengaged and they're just really not having a good time. Your dog aged out of the nightclub. I was good. I was, I loved going to the club. I was like right in there from like, like 18 to 21. And then once 21 hit, I was like, I just want to be at home with my dogs and I just want to be in sweatpants 98% of the time. <laughs> so if someone asked me to go to the club, I probably wouldn't have an overly good time while I was there or my tolerance level would be a lot shorter or like I'd be a lot more irritable with people bumping into me or things like that than I would have been when I was that like super young drunk teenager just going crazy at whiskey dicks, right? So that's the the hard part too, is that your dog is going to more often than not, your dog is going to age out of it. And when that time comes, embrace it, let it happen. Mm -hmm. Try not to kind of stick with it just because they've been doing it for so long. And it's not a bad thing. It's, it has nothing to do with your dog. It also probably has nothing to do with the daycare as well. You can always look into that. We're not sure, but the big thing is, is if you're starting to see any signs that, oh, maybe my dog is not enjoying this, just don't push it. There's no reason to have to push it. There's a lot of different uh, different avenues that you can take. So I know that some places like, and for some people too, I work with a lot with separation anxiety cases where they literally cannot leave their house because their dog has such separation anxiety and they have to go to work. We can't leave them in the house for like this prolonged period of time, because they'll just be so stressed out the whole entire time. So you need to find management options to allow your dog to be somewhere different while you're at work. Daycare for some people is the easiest option for that. And if their dog is okay with it, awesome. But there's also other, other things you could do. Like you could find even uh, someone who does pet sitting out of their home or people who do day stays where they come to your home or people who will, let's say your dog separation anxiety, they can be left for maybe like 
two hours, but they have a little bit of a hard time after that. Having someone come and a friend or a family member, or even having someone come and do training walks twice throughout the day when you're you're gone. So there's lots of different avenues as well. Um, when you're feeling a little bit stuck and you think that maybe daycare would be the best option. And again, too, like just to kind of play devil's advocate, some dogs do love daycare. They do. And that's great. That's great if your dog loves daycare. That's great if your daycare is amazing. We love that. But it's okay if your dog is not a daycare dog. And I think that needs to be said from the rooftops. Because again, it's like one of those things where it's like reactivity. It kind of like comes at a point of sort of shame or people feel a little bit uncomfortable when they're like, well, well, everyone else's dog can just go to daycare and have fun with their friends. Why is my dog so like antisocial? And it's like, there's a lot to unpack there. Your dog is completely awesome and rad the way that they are. Let's just find an option that they'll enjoy more than pushing the daycare agenda because it's not really quite as beneficial in some situations as I think a lot of people believe that it is from the social perspective. Any other points? <laughs> I think, I mean, no, I, I think about this all day, but <laughs> I mean, I'm very passionate about canine social enrichment, but the thing is that I think people, the big misconception is I think probably a lot of the time that they assume because dogs are social, it means that they should be able to be in a group that is very large. They're not pack animals. And when people hear them say that they're social, it doesn't mean they want to be in a room of 20 dogs. Uh, and like you said, even if they did at one point, it's not likely that they're going to. Dogs typically age at a daycare from two to five years old, it usually is on the lower side of things. And when you think about before that, they're still growing and maturing and play is to learn, like they're learning so much, they're developing their brains. And uh, if you do it during those times, you have to think about their learning those whole time, that whole time, and what are they picking up, right? It's not always great. So sometimes they come home and now they're displaying this new behavior that they picked up from daycare. And again, if those uh, people that are watching them aren't fully educated on dog body language, uh, just in general on dogs even, then they really don't know what's appropriate and what's not. And I think we got to talk about that reactivity, obviously, because not only just because daycare can create that or make it worse, but obviously we're, we love our reactive dogs. It, it's something that uh, is very difficult when they're running around or ripping around, like you said, and they're like, oh, I can't go do this to other dogs. There needs to be nap times. There needs to be downtime. It can't be running around the whole day. As if you do need to leave your dog there the whole day, that's not good mentally or physically. Dogs can end up with joint issues, injuries, all those things. The increased likelihood goes up the longer they're there, right? So if they don't have downtime, that's just way too long. A power hour is so different than leaving them there all day. Again, the arousal levels being left up here, if they're going multiple times, they could take a day, three days to cool down from that. So if they're going all the time and they're not able to settle at home, or if you have a dog that's dealing with barrier related things, a lot of the time people think, okay, we'll go to daycare off leash play. 
if it's a safe daycare, there should be barriers. There should be separating. If dogs aren't having the play, same play style, that makes it tough if they, if they can't be separated or just for safety reasons, if they need to be removed, break times, there should be crates. All these things now are coming, like crates now are a legal thing as well. They need to have somewhere to go. Um, but a lot of daycares, it's 80 dogs in one open room and that's just not safe. So just two points to uh, kind of add on to what Hannah said, which was fantastic was, and I, everyone's like, don't anthropomorphize, but I find that it's helpful because it puts it into perspective for the dog guardians. I like to think of myself as somewhat social, somewhat. I am quite shy if I don't know the person, um, but like to the people that I know and the friends that I have, I am as loud and obnoxious and social as it gets for certain spurts of time. But after a couple of hours, I'm like, get me the fuck out of here. I'm ready to go again. Sweatpants, dogs. It's a trend. It's kind of like my, it's my era that I'm living in right now is my sweatpants and dogs era. But, and that's the same thing with dogs too. Like your dog can be social, but why don't we focus on having them have like a, a smaller social group rather than expecting them to be fine. Like for me, I, I like hanging out with my friends. We went to Oshiega last, last year for a bachelorette party. And it was like, oh my God, there's a lot of people here. Like just standing in the line. It was like nose to nose. Like there was people, drunk people running around everywhere. There was just like, like so much going on. So many different personalities and quote unquote, like, I'm going to say dance styles for the people, but like in a dog's perspective, play styles. And it was very overwhelming. Keeping in mind too, a lot of these dogs we got during COVID and they went from zero interaction to like all this interaction. And it's like, holy shit, what is this world that we're living in? There's just things everywhere, right? So there is a very huge, there's a huge benefit to creating a smaller social circle for your dog. And that might mean friends or family members, dogs. Maybe it means you connect with somebody in the dog community on Instagram and be like, Hey, I have a dog who enjoys hanging out with other dogs. Do you also have a dog who likes hanging out with other dogs? And like, go for a little walk or go meet up in the park and try to sort of build your circle that way rather than trying to kind of push them right into like that nightclub sort of daycare scenario because it can definitely be overwhelming for sure. Second point that I wanted to kind of spin off of what you said was with the reactivity. Um, it can be quite, quite uh, confusing to dog guardians as well because they're like, well, I brought my dog into daycare to socialize them with dogs so that they would not become reactive. And now every single time they see a dog while they're on leash, they're like lunging and barking and, and like have this like guttural howl coming out of them. And it's like, because your dog only knows off leash, like let's go, go, go play all the time. Now all of a sudden they see a dog on leash. They have not built those coping skills to deal with that, right? They can't get to them. They're frustrated. We haven't really given them the skills to cope with that type of social interaction. So while there might be a situation where maybe your dog is the right fit for daycare and they are going to daycare, if that's a choice that you decide to make, I really, really recommend that you also, um, 
go at it with, um, with a training plan in mind as well to help them build the skills to deal with not necessarily engaging with dogs all the time as well. Uh, because the art of doing nothing is definitely something we need to do more of with our dogs and just reinforcing calm behaviors while they're watching dogs from a distance, just to show them that it's actually okay. When you see another dog, you don't have to go and barrel right up to them. You're actually going to get really great things. If you hang out with me instead, that can be really helpful with preventing that, um, reactivity from happening due to frustration related purposes. I think a lot of people think, like I was saying, um, they, my dog is leash reactive, but they're really dog friendly and they like off leash play. They're looking for an alternative to dog parks. Cause again, dog trainers don't love those. Um, <laughs> there's still barriers ever again, if it's done in a safe way. So I thought I'd touch on that just cause I do get asked that a lot too. Mm -hmm. so you're not getting away from the barriers. You don't want to again, because it's not safe. Um, and it makes it so uh, it's better overall, not just for safety reasons, but there's leashes, there's crates, there's barriers mm -hmm. in between them, and you're not going to get away from those. So if they are struggling with that, doesn't mean that daycare is a good fit either. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like with the dog park, too. So again, we'll probably just do a whole nother episode on this, but the, the points that we talk about with daycare are still kind of intact with with dog parks minus the employees and minus the the vetting of who gets to go in <laughs> so it's stressful because literally yeah. everybody goes in everyone's just in charge of their own dog yeah. um which i mean is good to a point that you can see what your dog is doing uh, risky right. to a point that somebody is coming in with a dog that maybe shouldn't be there and doesn't understand that and something very negative could happen. I'm a big advocate for just like drive out to a rural road, pop your dog on a long lead, do your thing, find some dog friends for them to go romp around in a, a fenced in backyard or go on an enrichment walk together with your dog friend. Well, they're all on long leads. Like there are, there are also, I don't know if we have them here. Is it sniff dog or something? There's like, sniff do they spots. sniff spots? Sniff yes. Spot. Oh, right. Yeah. So there's a place. Do they have, do we have one here? So I've looked into it just because Sadie's very reactive and sometimes I'm very limited on where I can take her to give her those opportunities. Right. So, um, we have like two people in rural Manitoba that offer sniff spots. I personally have not yet booked, so I can't speak to how mm -hmm. the process works or what those spots are actually like, but I really hope that in the next little while that this becomes like um, a bigger yeah. thing and that more people sign up because I mean if you do have a rural property it's a great way to make some extra money um, just renting your space out especially if you're not using it um, and you know I know so many reactive dog guardians would so appreciate and love having places that they can take their dogs that are fenced in um, and also that you just know going into it that you're going to have a great time because the possibility of somebody else pulling up and, you know, opening the door, the door to the car and letting their dogs run loose is not going to happen because you've specifically booked that spot for mm -hmm. you guys to have for that time. So, yeah, which is, I mean, game changer when it comes to dogs with reactivity, because especially even I keep talking about things we'll, we could talk for hours on but the whole leash laws issue <laughs> if you have a dog in in the city like you can't 
really go to you literally can't go anywhere essentially without the risk of an off-leash dog going if you go like after work like in that after work time frame mm-hmm. the off-leash dogs essentially like everywhere it's stressful so this sniff dog kind of situation essentially for anybody who doesn't know it's uh people who will rent out areas of their land uh, for people to come with their dogs specifically and it's only for those people uh which is definitely beneficial yeah Another thing, too, with the dog parks, the con we're talking about not being vetted going in, there is such a thing as private dog parks. I don't know if we have any here, if you guys know of any, but I don't think that even exists here. Yeah. So it's just a free-for-all. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's 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 stressful. I've had a couple times where it's like, I haven't even, like, I don't go to dog parks with clients, but I was at... Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, like the dog park by our house. It's like, oh, no, don't do it. Every day I'm like, oh, that one is the worst. Every mm-hmm. time I drive by there, which thankfully is not often, I am so stressed. I like have to like just look away because it's just brutal. <laughs> it's bad. But I find what's even worse is the parks that have off-leash dog parks attached to them. It is yeah. just a shit show. Like I went to Kings Park with a dog because they lived close and we're like, okay, well, we'll stay on the, the leash thing. Literally signs everywhere saying, leash your dog. Here's the off leash area. Walk your dog there on a leash. We had this, this little cute little doodle. We're working on some recall. These two like Boston Terriers come and like rush him off leash and start attacking him. And their guardians are just like standing there. And I'm like, get your fucking dog it's like what are you doing and they're like oh well uh they they don't usually do this i was like i can guarantee you that this is not the first time that they have done this like get your dogs on leash you shouldn't your two dogs shouldn't be there if they're just randomly coming up and attacking dogs while they're on leash in general like what are why what let me like regain my (laughs) my emotions for a second here there's no thought process there and I feel like and I'm just speaking from like my experience because a long time ago there were times where I did go to dog parks um my thoughts and opinions on them have definitely changed from there based on a lot of what I saw but from the human standpoint I feel like life is busy for a lot of people so they think that taking their dog to the dog park is an easy way to get them their exercise, expel that extra energy without having too much to come from the human side of things. What I also find is the human socialization at the dog parks. Everybody's so hung up catching up with each other that they're not watching what their dogs are doing. And the number one thing that drives me absolutely crazy is the people that aren't even talking to each other. They're on their phone. Mm -hmm. or talking on their phone their dogs like a hundred yards out from what like where they are they have no idea what's happening and then if you're the person who this dog is rushing uh your dog and you're trying to call out to that person they're not even in a position to even know number one what's going on or number two even hear you you know reaching out to them even worse than that so this is my other bad situation that happened in like an on-leash area so I was at Maple Grove and I was at like the football fields so the off-leash park is like way down there so I had this guy and I was just working and usually the dog that I was working with wasn't necessarily reactive but I say like like that they are just because I like I just say he's not good with dogs just 
fuck off essentially <laughs> so i had this guy who literally was walking with his off-leash dog from essentially from like saint mary's all the way down to where the the off-leash one and the, it was like a big like golden like it was like a it was some sort of like golden retriever some mix something and he comes like bombing along and i was like can you please call your dog and then i yell can you please call your dog and then louder call your dog call your dog <laughs> the dog just comes like barely and then like literally is like in in the dog's face and then I was like call your dog and then the guy not even like doesn't hear me starts screaming at me being like well you yeah he was like you shouldn't f and have your dog here blah 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 and it was like okay so not only am I just minding my own business working with the dog (laughs) your dog comes barreling after me and then you're yelling at me and that this has happened i know for anybody listening that follows me on instagram you know this happens to me often i don't know if i just have a face that sells that says like scream at me here i am but like i've had so many asshole men and it's always men who are like you shouldn't have your dog out here if they're not friendly it's like they're too friendly that's what i'm working on yeah working on it oh oh, that that was like uh, that was another one where when we went to uh I was at a community center field in for uh, river heights and I had this guy with like a black German shepherd like and he was like kind of off to the corner I was like okay well like I mean as long as he kind of sticks in his area I'll just be make it very clear that I'm trying to create space so I saw them come and I like booked in the opposite direction he just like looks me right into the eyes releases his dog and the dog just comes up and starts like stalking us as we go forward and I'm like call your dog please call your dog dude can you please call your dog and then and I was like you need to leash your dog it's like in the middle of the city it's right beside a train track like (laughs) why why is this a flex this is not a flex stop trying to make it a fucking flex that you can have your dog off leash and oh my dog has no issues blah 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 it's like hey but like it is not last I checked the city of Winnipeg, you were not the king of it. So please <laughs> leash your fucking dog. There's a sign that's right there that says all dogs must be leashed. And then as I left, he was like screaming. I like walked over the train tracks over towards like this like back lane. And I was like a good, like, I would say a half soccer field away. And he was still screaming at me. So me just being essentially the asshole that I am, I just like pulled up my phone and started recording him. And then he just like turned around and like walked in the opposite direction. And then I saw these two girls come up with two little dogs on leash and same thing. The the German shepherd just went in and just like barreled through them. And I was like, why do you seem to have the complex that you are so much better than everyone else when everyone else is just trying to give their dog like a calm outdoor experience? <laughs> I don't get it. So for, for the listeners out there, Please don't be that person. Leash your dogs in a leashed up area because everybody here who maybe has a dog who's uncomfortable or maybe has a dog who is overexcited and we're working on those coping skills from that, those frustrations that have been kind of building due to them having off-leash social play. You can set people back a lot and you're putting people in very dangerous positions. And if you do put someone in that position unknowingly, don't be a dick about it. Just be like, yeah, I'm so sorry. I fucked up. Let me leash my dog. Instead of screaming at them being like, well, you shouldn't be here. It's like, bitch, I was here before you. Oh, maybe so mad. <laughs> I still, it was literally like a year ago and it's still like, 
it feels uh i get so pissed off anyways i feel you on that <laughs> it happens all the time too and like you never know if you're gonna have that exact same experience so the people recovering from these things too is the problem like you don't know what to expect in it. It's not helping the recovery of the dog because the person doesn't know what to expect. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's stressful. So we kind of went on a tangent, but that's <laughs> what happens. So I think I, oh my gosh, I can't. I just, ooh, it's one of those things. I did a leash episode um, with Sit Pretty training and she was great. She really like kept me from losing my shit. <laughs> But I feel like people want to see you lose my shit. So there you go, everybody. Lost it again. (laughs) Struggles. Struggles. Okay, so that's it for the questions today. Thank you, everyone who submitted some questions to us. We unfortunately didn't get to all of them, but I will keep them on file. We'll probably do another Q&A episode soon. We were going to do a... a question on tips for bringing home a baby with a reactive dog. We decided we're going to do a full ass episode on that because we got the tea for it. So keep that in mind and we'll definitely do that on our next episode. So thank you Cass and Hannah for coming on. Applause to you. Thank you. I'm going to do really like light claps into my microphone here. <laughs> you guys rocked your first episode that was so awesome i can't wait to have you guys on the podcast and just shoot the shit a little bit more so before we go tell everybody like what you're up to and where they can find you so link or plug in your instagram whatever you guys want to kind of just like let people know about now's the time to do it you can find me on instagram my instagram handle is cndr dot cast trains dogs Um, what I'm up to right now, I am currently doing a level one class uh, at the dog circle on Sunday mornings. Um, I'm also at the Humane Society Thursday evenings doing family dog basics, family dog basics classics, uh, classes there, uh, reactivity classes. Um, I'm also doing, starting to do some more private training and taking on uh, private sessions. So if you have any concerns with your dogs in terms of leash skills, reactivity, even just like basic things that you want to work on. Um, you can definitely reach out and I'd be happy to help you with that. Um, I think that's kind of it. Hannah? My Instagram is Candor Hannah. Hannah is spelled H-A-N-N-A-H. I do walks Tuesdays, Thursdays, classes Tuesday evenings, Saturday mornings, afternoons, and Sunday morning, afternoons, doing puppy, family dog, reactive classes. Um, and then for privates, I'm pretty available daytime, evenings. And I do do a little bit of pet sitting. I have some availability for the summer. I am going to ramp that up just a tiny bit. Again, I do have my own pet. So, and, and of course, working. So as long as your dog is comfortable to be left alone during the day as well then you can hit me up for that and see what my availability is like. Whoop, whoop. Yep, you're going to be watching Carter and Indy when I leave on my honeymoon. Uh-uh, and my mom's dog. Yeah, oh my gosh. We, yeah, uh, I love her. We so we did the the fencing like how we had it last time you stayed and I guess the girl was like her first day working and she like severely misquoted us. So we were like, oh my god, this is so cheap. Like, why don't we do this all the time? It's not so cheap anymore. <laughs> 
so we're, we found like kind of like the same setup, but it's like just slightly different. It'll still work. It'll still be like the same kind of thing with the okay. garage and everything. But yeah, it was, it was kind of funny. I was like, Oh no, that poor, that poor girl. She very, very, I don't know how many people she misquoted that day, but holy moly. Um, another thing that I wanted to cut and you guys, listeners will have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. Um, so another thing I want to plug in is wedding season is upon us. So, Hi. Oh my goodness. I can't believe I forgot to mention that part. Like nope. what? So Cass and Hannah are also part of our bark wedding date team. So I just had our my first wedding yesterday, wedding season is definitely ramping up. So if you are getting married 2023, 2024, and you want your dog to be a part of your big day, get at us. You can follow us at Bark Wedding Date Co. And as always, you can follow the podcast at I Let the Dogs Out Podcast. And you can follow our training page at Candor Canine Co. So with that being said, that's it. That's all. This episode has officially been listened to. We'll see you guys next time. Peace. Where's my little thing to stop the recording?